um, you throw your arms around us. And so we praise you for who you are, and we pray that to this morning that you would open our eyes in new ways to, to see you more clearly. You'd open our eyes in new ways to see ourselves more clearly, and you'd open our eyes in new ways to see one another with the eyes that you see us with. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that you're not done with us yet. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. I have missed you the last few weeks, but it's uh, it's just good to be back. It's fun to walk in and, and see you and worship with you. And I missed our worship team. I missed, not every church does pass the love for 15 minutes in the service. <laughs> and so I missed that. I missed greeting all of you. Um, yeah. So it's good to be back with you. We're in this series called Past the Love, and we're going through our values. And this morning, we're going through the value of family. And if, if you've ever had the opportunity to, to preach or, or even teach like a, a small group or a Sunday school thing, you know, oftentimes, God works on your heart on the very thing you're about to go preach. And so I feel like he just gave me like weeks of research on family because our vacation is always going and seeing family. And you'd think like having five kids, I've done plenty of research, but we went like back up north and we went in and went up to Minnesota and stayed in my mom's house and my brother was there and my sister was there and we went and saw all of our relatives and we like all wore a lot of sunblock and and cheered together about being together and and this really funny thing happened I haven't seen my aunts and uncles for like eight years and we're family like I grew up with them but I had all this like weirdness in me like are they going to remember me and like of course they're going to remember me I'm unforgettable but really, like, are they going to remember me? And are they going to remember my kids? And are they going to like me? Because, you know, you, you change over time, right? I talk a little slower. I hang out with you guys here in Louisville. And then they're like, are, are they going to like me? Are, are we going to be okay? And all this, like, silly nervousness to go be with family. And even though they're my family, I have this, like, do I fit in? Do my kids fit in? Do, do we belong? And so it ended up being this really great time. Uh, there and then we went over and visited Nikki's family and and went to the city that she grew up in and saw her elementary school friends and all this kind of stuff and some of the same emotions and going past like the houses she grew up in and like all these memories start flooding back then we went to the city we met in and saw our college friends and went to the church that I like made a bunch of pastoral mistakes at and uh, I, I got to go speak there and share with people. That was my first real church family. And they've gone through a lot of pain. And, and you know, something happens in you when your family goes through pain, right? And you, you kind of share that and have some of those insecurities. Do I belong here? Do all this? And in the meantime, we're staying like in one hotel room because I'm cheap, but there's seven of us. So there's like limbs everywhere. And it's like... Tons and tons of family. This last week, like Jamal said, we were in Phoenix uh, with our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And uh, some of the people that I've met there have become my family. And uh, you, you know several of them who've come and spoke and shared with us. And, 
And so going and spending time with, with them and praying together and dreaming together and then coming in here and coming straight into church and like, oh, I'm home. Like, that's all my, like, family, but, like, this is, this is my family, family. There's something beautiful about family. There's something messy, right? And, and whether it's your biological family or your, the home that you live in or whether it's your church, there's this family is like this commitment that we're going to walk through this together. And so in this value, we're, we're talking about this value of family, that we're walking through this together. It's so important for the church because we can't do, especially our church, we cannot do what God's called us to do if we aren't family. Yeah. If we are not locked arm in arm and eye to eye saying, hey, I'm walking through this with you no matter what comes, we will not inherit what God has for us. Amen. It just won't happen. We can go to South 4th Street, but we'll just be like tiny pockets of people. And that attracts nobody. But God invites us to be family. And and as you know, like, that's what this journey's been. The last couple months has been the, like, post-honeymoon family. Where we, like, learn, learn each other and get to know each other and get to know what we like about one another and get to know what we're going to pretend to not notice about one another. And all those kinds of things, like, start happening because we're family. And I've talked to plenty of you who are at that point of like you're deciding okay is this is this home or is this something I I like spectate at as we go forward one church will be a family because we can't inherit what God has without that now this idea of being locked together in this community this is everywhere like all of humanity is realizing we need to do life together we see this thankfully rising up in, in like defending one another and social justice things. There's NGOs all over the place. There's nonprofits all over. This has been a big part of my family's story, being involved in these things. There's so many more people are talking about making room at the table for others and more and more people and advocating for that. But there's a danger in that too. Because I spent... Unfortunately, I spent several years, several years advocating for more people to be at the table just for the sake of having more people at the table. That's a really small vision. When we're talking about family, that's not what we're talking about. We're not just talking about, hey, let's all get together just to be together. There's a beauty in being together, but there's something higher to this. Here's kind of what I mean by this. I spent a lot of time trying to gather people together like we were the lost boys in Peter Pan. And we were just going to hang out and fling stuff at each other because I didn't know what else to do. And I felt lonely, and I don't want to be lonely, so I found other people who felt lonely and said, hey, let's hang out. And then at least we're not lonely. And a bunch of us whose bigger fear was to be, reject, or to be lonely than rejected, we hung out. And then people whose bigger fear was to be rejected, well, they were like, I don't really want to hang out with you. I'll watch you hang out. And, and, but we just kind of got together like the Lost Boys. And we did silly little adventures, but we never really did anything. And, like, I love the story of Peter Pan, except for the fact it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I have no clue what those boys are about. 
they hang out on an island and there's pirates who come by, but they don't really do anything. Like, they just swing on stuff. And that's kind of like the biggest, best picture of community that I had in my mind. Maybe I can find some other guys and some other ladies who, who like, will agree to just tolerate each other and like each other and we'll, we'll learn to play. And there's great benefit to learning to play. But God didn't call us to be lost boys. There's something much bigger here. We're not doing life together as, as lost boys just for the sake of doing life together. We're family and that's something much, much more. And that means that if we're family, then you need to understand who you are. And I need to understand who I am. And that's who comes to the table. And so look at, look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. It says that God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before he did anything, he predestined you to be adopted as his daughter. He said, I, I, want, I want you in my family. Before he did anything, he chose you as his son and said, okay, I want, I want you to be in my family. And I'm not doing this out of obligation. I'm doing this because it's my good pleasure. I'm doing this because this is my desire. This is beautiful language that should cause a response in us. Like every time we read this, we should like be like, <laughs> that's awesome. But we don't. We really don't. I read this often and just kind of read it. And unfortunately, I'm like, oh, I've read it before. And I kind of move on. But this is one of those spots where, uh, where my, my kids have been my teachers. Parents, you know that? Yeah. Like those spots where your, parent, or your kids become like your teachers and sometimes like your professors. And you don't really tell them that, but it's true. So... Four, four of my children came to my family through adoption. And I know it as a father that for years I saved up money. I filled up paperwork. I went and got fingerprinted. It didn't work, so I went and got fingerprinted again. You're filling out papers for the U.S. You're filling out papers for another country. You're, you're doing all of this work because you cannot wait not just to be a dad or a mom, but you cannot wait for that child to be your child. Amen. Amen. But then they've been my instructors because I've watched my kids who are beautiful kids have to learn to be a daughter and have to learn to be a son. And that's not an easy process. They knew how to be an orphan. They knew how to be a lost boy. They knew how to hang out and look out for themselves and take on way too much responsibility, way too much pressure at way too young of an age. And all of a sudden, not only am I giving a parent, but I'm giving an authority to them that they didn't really want. They wanted like a family-like picture. But the idea of having someone to answer to, that's terrifying because they don't know if I'm good or not. All that paperwork doesn't prove it, right? And so I've watched my kids through this really honest struggle of trying to learn to be sons. And that's really hard when you're already feeling like a lost boy. 
And I say all of that because they're my teacher, because I watch them try to learn to let me be dad, and then I watch me try to let my heavenly father be my dad. I love the idea of in a song saying, I, you are my father. Like, my, my favorite song we sing is that you're a good, good father. I love that song. But then when it goes into my everyday life, it is a struggle for me to not pretend I'm just my independent man. I'm, I'm on my own. I've got to prove something. I've got to work something out. I've got to earn something and not realize that before anything happened, he predestined me through adoption to be his son, not because I'm awesome, but because he is. And he said, Matt Ness, you're mine. And I've just got to wiggle my way into comfort in that. I think you're probably there too. See, one of the things that you learn is that adoption is an event. It's not like a first name to child. Like my kids are my kids. They were adopted. There was a day and a place. We went to a courthouse and there was a gavel that was smacked down on that wood and it was declared that they had my name. And that event happened. And the rest of their life is learning to live as if that day is true. For you and me, that day has happened. The day you put faith in Jesus, believing that our Father was really as good as he said he is, is the day that that happened. That gavel swung down, and the rest of our life, we're being made holy. We're sanctified. We're, we're made to be more like him. We're learning to believe that we are who he said we are, not the lost boy we used to be. Look at how it was said in 1 John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And because he did that, that's what we are. There's not this caveat in there that we should be called children of God. So we did our homework, we proved our work, we earned the degree, we showed it, and then he was like, okay, cool, you're in. No, it's because he said, I'm your dad, you're my child, and that's just true. It's just true. When my kids were adopted, they were excited. They, they caught on that a lot of things were happening, but they didn't catch on to all the consequences of it and all the impact of it. But when the judge said, your last name is Ness, the last name was Ness. It was done. And your father looked on you and lavishes his love like way too much syrup on a pancake. And said that you're his child. And because he said it, it's true. Before the world, God did everything. But Jesus went to the cross before we were born to make us holy. On that day of adoption, when you put your faith in Jesus and now you're his, not because you're cute or you have something to offer, but because your father said so. And if you're like me, you think that is one of the most beautifully uncomfortable truths in the entire world. So this prodigal son story, I, I, I love it. I, I love to read it. And there's this part in it where like, I, I kind of identify with this prodigal who, who has this speech ready because I get speeches ready. You guys ever get a speech ready? For God, like your prayer ever like defending yourself like you're a lawyer? Or, or like you're doing a sales pitch. I, I do this to him. And I, I was 
get this speech ready. Like the prodigal son got this speech ready and the father just met him with a kiss. And he, the thing that stands out to me is he, he gave him the robe and the ring and the sandals, right? This sweaty, goofy prodigal son gave him the royal robe and sandals and ring. And he walks him into a party and throws a giant party. But then there's another brother, right, out in the, in the field. And so the father, get this, I don't know that we always notice this, the father leaves the party to go to the older son. So the younger son is in there in his dad's clothes, in a community that knows him, that knows that he left, that knows that he offended the father, all these kind of things. He's there in a robe he didn't earn, in a ring he didn't earn, in sandals he didn't earn, and he's standing in a party, and his ticket into the party, his father left the room. Has anyone ever done that to you? Like, I remember a friend invited me to a tailgate at, at U of L, and, and it was a nice one. It was in like one of those cabooses. And he's like, hey, come hang with me at this tailgate. And just as we walked up, he said, go, l- let's just walk this way. And I kept walking, and he turned around to talk to somebody. And so I started stealing food from people I'd never met. <laughs> and they're like, hi, who are you? And like, I, I, I'm, uh, er, I'm with him. I imagine that's what, what this prodigal son feels like, but 10,000 fold. He was probably incredibly uncomfortable not earning that ring and robe and sandals on his own and incredibly uncomfortable in the party wearing that when the father's there, but the father goes out to pursue the other son and he's left there learning to grow comfortable in the clothing that defines him as the father defines him. He says, that's who you are, so that's how you'll dress. That's who you'll be. I'm setting you apart, setting you apart. That's holy, right? I think, when I think of our church specifically, I see us kind of sitting uncomfortable in our father's ring and robe and sandals. And we're trying to learn that we belong in them. Not that we earned them, but that we belong in them. A lot of us have those moments when we tried to give our, our speech and, and the Father has met us and we accepted what Jesus has done for us and he's began healing us, but we still feel amazingly uncomfortable being invited in because we don't deserve it. You're never going to. I'm never going to. And this is part of the beauty of being family together is we look at one another and say, hey, those sandals look nice on you. They fit. That's you. That ring, that's you. Stand tall. Your father made you this way. That's who you're to be. That's who I'm to be. Hebrews 2.11 This is both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Get that again. So the ones that he makes holy, that's you. That's me. And the one who makes them holy, that's Jesus. They're family. They're family together. And not only are they family, but Jesus is not ashamed. He doesn't look at you and he doesn't look at me and say, Oh, silly Matt. Screwing it up again. That's not what he sees. He looks and he's like, that's my brother. 
And I did the work to make him my brother. That's my sister. And I did the work to make her my sister. And so then it comes to this value of family for us, right? So when we see one another, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to hang with you because I don't want to be lonely. You hang with me because you don't want to be lonely. Hey, let's hang together because it's better to be together than to be alone. It's not about that. Instead, we're getting together as family to say, I know that you're a daughter of the king. And you know I'm a son of the king, and I forget, so remind me. And sometimes I don't act like it, so call me on it. And sometimes I forget who my father is, so remind me. Let's start doing a family album of memories of what God has done. Like this morning when we, we dedicate a little child. Now this church is going to watch this little child grow. And like that's family, guys. This is our family. Not like lost boys hanging out, but like people learning to fit in our robe and sandals and ring. People learning that we're made holy because he said so. That we're loved because he said so. That we're daughters and sons. Because Jesus did all the work already. Because his father predestined it. And I don't understand what all of that means, but I don't, I don't really have to, right? So if God blesses what we believe he's inviting us into, September 1st, we're going over. You know, we're going to spend September on, on 4th Street. And right around 4th Street are a whole bunch of people with speeches ready, waiting for an encounter with their father. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people playing with the pigs. And there's a whole bunch of people trying to work really hard in the field, bitter, that somebody else lives with a the freedom they don't yet. And we have an invitation. <coughs> we have an invitation to sit out on the porch and go look with our Father for who's coming in. And we have an invitation to, to see somebody and see God at work in somebody and call them a bold name, call them sister, call them brother, call them into believing that Jesus is big enough. He's even bigger than them. He's even bigger than what they've done. He's even bigger than what I've done. We get to remind each other and those that we meet that we're not who we once were. We're certainly not these silly lost boys. But in Christ, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're being made different, distinct, holy. We're salt. We're light. Because our Father said so. And we celebrate that and live into that. And as we do, We'll see his kingdom come in real ways. So we're going to practice this. Every week we receive communion together, right? It's a family meal. We join each other at the table. There's, there's bread that represents the body of Christ. There's gluten-free bread that still just represents the body of Christ. There's nothing different except the gluten. There's a cup which represents his blood which was shed for us, the very thing that makes us sons and daughters. And so, you know, in, in our community, we just meet at one table because we're one. And it's kind of messy and there's elbows and there's people and we, we just make it work.
this isn't us just gathering because we like each other and it's not just us gathering because well we've got nothing else to do this is us gathering as brothers and sisters as daughters and sons to celebrate the one who makes us holy and to praise him for the fact that he's not ashamed by us and we say if, if he's not ashamed probably don't need to hang our heads. If he's not ashamed of you, I, I don't think you have to be. If his love is big enough to cover it, you could probably let it cover it. And we can turn back and, and learn to live into this life he's invited us into. And so I want to invite you over this next song to, to come to the table. And we'll continue to worship in this way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love and your life. Thank you that you believe in us when we don't. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice for us. And thank you that you've called us into this, this brotherhood and this sisterhood, not just for the sake of each other, but because there's something majestic that happens when we gather in your name as your children. So thanks for making room for us at the table. We pray this in your name. Amen.